Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Governor Gavin Newsom has pledged to make California a sanctuary for those who are seeking abortions following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. But as part of a budget agreement reached this past weekend with legislative leaders, the Newsom administration will not spend public money to help people from other states travel to California for reproductive services. Here's the governor speaking after the Supreme Court decision was handed down last week. You're going to ask, are we going to pay for everyone's travel and accommodations for 33 million people, of which, you know, 10 percent may seek care in California? Come on, we, we have to be realistic about what we can absorb. You know that. This is not a binary. Within that is nuance. And it's not just the government providing and supporting. It's all of us. It's you. It's me. It's everyone contributing. The budget plan, which is up for a vote in the state legislature later today, includes $20 million for an abortion practical support fund to pay for things like airfare and lodging for people seeking abortions in California. But that money can only be used by people already living in California to travel from one area of the state to another, not those traveling from out of state. The governor's office says the budget also focuses on strengthening and expanding reproductive services here in California. The last of California's eviction protections expire on Friday. Lawmakers extended the deadline back in March to give the state more time to pay out emergency rental assistance. But as KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports, thousands of people who applied are still waiting and could soon face eviction. Yurita Placante had to stay home during the pandemic to take care of her two young daughters. And when her son lost his job, they could no longer afford the rent on their Los Angeles apartment. She applied to the state's emergency rental aid program about three months ago. And I have not received an email, a car, anything from them. Nothing. California has distributed almost $4 billion in rental aid to nearly 330,000 households. But there are about 86,000 people like Placante who are still waiting on assistance, according to the National Research Institute PolicyLink, which has been closely tracking California's program. Sarah Truhaf is a researcher there. So that means that people will still be waiting in line and they will be exposed to eviction. They're likely to be evicted or have eviction proceedings against them. Joshua Howard of the California Apartment Association says his group is advising members to hold off on evicting tenants who are still awaiting aid. It's better to wait and get money than to go through with the time, cost, and stress of an eviction, especially knowing that those funds from the government are just around the corner. 
but some tenants have already been evicted. Delilah Medina of South Los Angeles has two young children. She lost her hotel job during the pandemic and started working at Walmart, even though it was a big pay cut. She applied for rent relief and got some money, but had to reapply in January for more. Then she and her kids were evicted. We're not shiftless people. We're like the millions of Americans who don't make a wage that supports the rising cost of rent and living. Medina says now she and her children live in her car. They occasionally use a friend's house to shower and rest during the day. I ask you all, how many more families just like mine are going to suffer? Although the statewide protections are ending this week, renters in some areas, including in Alameda County and Los Angeles, may still be shielded from eviction. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari. Reported hate crimes in California rose significantly last year, according to a report issued Tuesday by Attorney General Rob Bonta. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer has more. Overall, reports of hate crimes rose nearly 33 percent last year to the highest level since right after the 9-11 terror attacks across the nation. Hate crimes against black people were the most prevalent and increased 12.5 percent, while Bonta said anti-Asian hate crimes increased a staggering 177 percent after a huge increase the year before. One hard truth in our state just as, we, as we've seen across the nation, is that the epidemic of hate we saw spurred on during the pandemic remains a clear and present threat. Also up, hate crimes based on sexual orientation and religion. The Attorney General announced the creation of a new statewide coordinator to combat hate crimes. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. The city of San Jose has unanimously revoked a ban on lowrider cruising that's been in effect since the mid-80s. In a city council session yesterday, proponents of repealing the ban cited the ordinance as a relic of a discriminatory past. But San Jose Police Chief Anthony Mata said he's still concerned about some aspects of lowrider gatherings. We've seen that during the Cinco de Mayo or the upcoming hot August nights where, unfortunately, uh, there's... Uh, individuals in cars that take over a shopping center and do loiter, they do drink, drugs are there. David Polanco, a member of the United Lowrider Council of San Jose, painted a different picture of the lowrider community. The people driving those uh, lowriders are homeowners, blue and white collar workers, coaches, grandfathers, leaders of the community. There's a small amount of people that occasionally cause problems. Usually they are the people that don't own a lowrider. The San Jose Lowrider community shares the city's same desire to have safe streets and a lawful city. The public comment section included supporters from both Sacramento, where a similar ban was recently struck down, and San Diego County's National City, which has also had a lowrider ban for years. The state assembly approved a resolution this week urging cities to overturn their cruising bans. That measure is now headed to the Senate. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. 
You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hundreds of Tesla employees have been laid off, and the Bay Area facility where they were based has been closed. According to Bloomberg News, about 200 workers were let go from the autopilot division. Many were from the data annotation team. Those are the folks who take images and label and annotate them so the car's computer understands what it's seen. Here's Bloomberg reporter Dana Hull with some analysis on that news. What it says about the state of autopilot, I think, is a really intriguing question. I mean, you know, Tesla's autopilot system has been in development for several years now. Um, A lot of customers are testing a version of the software that Tesla calls FSD beta. But it is not a self-driving car by any stretch of the imagination. And it is, you know, under scrutiny from federal agencies like NHTSA. And what this means about the state of autopilot, I really don't know. I mean... It could be that they just wanted to reduce headcount to save money. It could be that they think that their internal algorithms and their computers are getting better and they don't need as many people doing this very tedious job. It could mean that it's cheaper to hire people to do this in upstate New York. Uh, a lot of questions still. Hull says Tuesday's cuts are part of a broader effort to trim salaried workers, which was announced by CEO Elon Musk last month. There's been no comment from Tesla or Musk. State officials are investigating a data breach made public yesterday that exposed the personal information of everyone in California who has a permit to carry a concealed weapon. The California Department of Justice suffered the breach after launching its firearms dashboard portal earlier this week. The portal was created in an effort to offer more transparency about firearm data in the state. Fresno County Sheriff Margaret Mims says her department was informed of the leak by the California State Sheriff's Association. She spoke with KC24 TV in Fresno. We don't have information that there was an actual hack. Uh, What could have happened is that access was approved when it shouldn't have. That particular part of their database should have been hidden when in fact it wasn't. The DOJ has taken the dashboard offline, but it's possible that some of the information was posted elsewhere online. Officials are working to contact concealed weapon permit holders to inform them about the breach. The federal EPA is beginning a series of public hearings today to consider whether to allow California to set its own clean truck standards. KQED's climate editor Kevin Stark reports. California has adopted ambitious rules meant to limit pollution from diesel trucks and eventually help transition them off the road. The state has asked the EPA for a waiver under the Clean Air Act to enforce these regulations and to allow other states to sign on. California and advocates argue these rules protect public health and fight climate change. A trucking industry association sued California to block the regulations, saying the state didn't provide enough implementation time. EPA officials will hold two hearings this week and accept written comments until August 2nd. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. As California's craft liquor scene grows, some of the state's smaller distillers say their growth is limited by laws preventing them from shipping direct to consumers. Now, a new bill headed back to a state assembly committee today could change that. KCBX's Benjamin Perper reports. 
After the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, the state allowed distillers to ship their product directly to adult consumers in California. And it kept a lot of the doors open because I think uh, without any income for 21 months, most of us probably would have had to, to close our doors because we would have had no access to sales whatsoever. That's Alex Villacana, the president of the California Artisanal Distillers Guild. He's also the owner of Refine Distillery and Villacana Winery in Paso Robles. He says the emergency provision allowing direct-to-consumer shipping expired last March, meaning distilleries like his are now back to pre-pandemic rules, unable to ship directly and limited to selling 2.5 liters per day per customer. They could buy three bottles of bourbon, but if they wanted a pallet of wine, I could load it onto the back of their truck and send them home with it. That led to Senate Bill 620, introduced in the state legislature last year by Senators Ben Allen and Bill Dodd. The bill, as initially introduced, would have let distilleries of all sizes ship direct-to-consumer in California with certain limitations. But the bill was amended in the Assembly last month to limit that privilege to smaller craft distilleries who produce less than 150,000 gallons per fiscal year. I think that's fair to say that there shouldn't be a law that discriminates against a producer who has had some level of success. That's Adam Smith with the Distilled Spirits Council of the U.S., or DISCUS. The group lobbies for distillers of all sizes, as well as provides economic analysis of the liquor industry for companies. He says DISCUS initially supported the bill, but changed their stance after the amendment. We're just trying to educate assembly members at this point on what, what a good bill uh, would look like. Senator Ben Allen represents the 26th State Senate District within Los Angeles County. He says the bill has gone through several iterations and changed significantly, so he understands larger distillers' concerns. I respect the position of Discus. I mean, they know that we were with them from the very beginning, but this is where the bill got to, you know, in order for us to get to a place where we could get the bill out of the Senate. Allen says he had hoped for a compromise between the various interests representing smaller and larger distillers, but he says the bill in its current state is still a step in the right direction. I was hoping that we could find a, you know, some sort of compromise where there'd be a limited amount that the big guys could could use the bill to ship through but um, but ultimately that that didn't fly and so we're at a place now where we're only focused on the on the small guys Allen says even though SB 620 is now focused on the craft distilleries like those in Paso Robles there could be expanded direct-to-consumer privileges in the future the question of course is does it go far enough? And you know, that's a battle that's going to have to be fought in the future. Alex Villacana with Refined in Paso says the bill in its current form isn't perfect and could even limit his own distillery business someday. You know, if I grow big enough, I got up to that 150,000 gallon level and I was still, you know, uh, growing and, and I wanted to ship, I, I would love that cap to be higher. But Villacana also says expanding direct consumer shipping would help keep craft distillers around the state afloat now that the emergency provision allowing that is over. Unfortunately, if this bill gets killed um, and we have to start from scratch next year, um, a lot of the California distillers and even distillers across the U.S. will have lost, you know, uh, it'll be nine months this year and then probably another 12 months next year if we're lucky enough to get a, a bill through next year. And for the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Luis Obispo. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, June 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. If you want more news from around the state, check out our daily podcast and include stories from both our shows. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. The California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org/health-equity. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.